You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. There's talk on the street, it sounds so familiar. Great expectations, everybody's watching you. Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck Podcast, dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am your host, Tim Capper, along with my newly acquired co-host, I know we've worked before, Cliffy D! Welcome to the team again. I know I know you. Oh, dude, it's so great to be back. I, I didn't know I was gone, but I'm back now, baby. <laughs> yeah. I know there was something that happened over the last couple of days. I know it really affected you more than me because you were doing another interview with this week's uh, a pod, another pod for this week's opponent, but oh yeah, Johnny Football. So we're not talking about that first. We're going to talk about the game first. Uh, Also, besides finding a a little bit more about Manziel, we brought over Marshall Ferguson, who is with uh, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. We're going to find out a little bit more about Johnny Football. Football. Why am I whispering that? I don't know. It's like saying something bad. You know, especially you know, it's a, one of those funny things. Get for this, like something's bad. It's like he fumbled the ball, Johnny Football. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, you know, it's like cancer. They always whisper something like that. <laughs> well, I think you're the only one whispering because let me tell you, the the media, TSN, uh, everybody here, they are screaming his name. They are screaming the name of Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we're maybe we're gonna take things a little differently. We're gonna we're gonna let it build up. We're gonna we, maybe maybe if he comes in and he starts playing lights out football, maybe then we'll scream his name and speak <laughs> it to the highest regard. But why don't we just build it slowly? Build it and slowly. Just, yes. And we'll, one one question before we talk about last week's game um, on a, on a scale of one to ten, how uh, how quickly are you gonna go out and buy a number two jersey? on a scale of one to ten mm-hmm. one okay. i don't buy player jerseys i know you don't you know why because i don't want to be like those clowns in hamilton that were bitching and moaning about the fact that they went out and they bought a johnny manziel tiger cats jersey and now it's essentially a collector's item well guess what let the buyer beware no no one forced you no one forced <laughs> you to jump on the johnny manziel hype train yeah but dude you they're did getting, that of your own volition they're getting 100 bucks out of it now aren't they aren't they isn't the team saying if you trade it you get 100 bucks yeah which is i i props to the tire cast because that's that's a, a great i mean yeah. i i've never seen any other team do that with the exception of the new england patriots yes. when uh, aaron hernandez you're was right. Uh, you're right i forgot about that one too yeah that that whole situation so they kind of you know they just kind of scrubbed that clean and uh let fans uh, exchange that jersey, which again, given those circumstances, totally understandable. Yeah. Again, for the for the Tiger Cats, what do you care? Yeah. I, the fact that the, the fact that they're willing to sort of let fans kind of walk back that decision to buy a Johnny Manziel Tiger Cats jersey, 
I think that's tremendous. Uh, personally, I would just be like, you know what? No one forced you to buy this jersey. No one put a gun to your set your head and said you have to buy this Johnny Manziel jersey. As no. far as I'm concerned, uh, like I said, let the buyer beware. Somebody, yeah. And that's why, as a rule, I do not buy players' jerseys. Not that I don't love players. I don't love. Not that I don't love the players on the Alouettes. But at the same time, nothing's guaranteed in football Somebody or sports too, in general. I think, on Twitter, saying, "Why would you buy a player's jersey?" I don't remember who said it, but it was like, "Why do you buy a player's jersey when just this type of thing?" Anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves, so we digress. Yeah. Um, the game itself, um, it was interesting. Um, and now to be fair, I had, I had to ca- catch up on the cliff notes version. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, uh, yeah, no see what you in- did there. Yeah, no pun, no pun intended. Um, but, uh, from what I saw, there were good things and there were bad things. Uh, again, this team where alternating quarterbacks, are, it sounds like we're going to be doing it again, but we'll talk about that in the last half of the show. Um, from what you saw, Cliff, from 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 gun to uh, from start to gun, what what was your overall impression of this game? Well, it was definitely interesting because again, going into this, you knew it was going to be the best team in the league versus the worst team in the league. Everybody was predicting this was going to be a, just a murder scene. It was going to be disgusting. Mm-hmm. Calgary was going to just episode walk right all over, pretty much. You know, CSI Calgary. That's essentially what it was going to be. <laughs> But I, I tell you what, uh, once uh, Drew Willie, he started the game, got hurt, Matthew Schiltz comes into the game, and I, I tell you what, friend of the show, we've had him on, and you know he wants to play. And this was his first real action of 2018, and I gotta say, overall, he was not terrible. I, he had moments where he just didn't look good, I will freely admit that, but the way that he played, the way that he attacked the quarterback position for the Alouettes, he looked a lot more calm, a lot more poised than, quite frankly, what Drew Willie has all season long. Schultz did not play scared, and that's great. Like He had that gunslinger mentality. Mm-hmm. You remember what, our interview with him? He talked about idolizing Peyton Manning and the 49ers and Joe Montana and the guys that were just willing to just huck the ball downfield and let, let the chips fall where they may. And that's what he did against Calgary, which is no small feat considering just how good that defense is. And believe me, Schultz got burned a couple of times, but he had that 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 chutzpah. That he had that that killer instinct that Montreal has been desperately needing. And I really hope that you know, despite everything that's gone on this week, I really hope that Schultz gets a chance to showcase more of what he can do. Because I think if you were if you were to put him in right off the hop, like what we talked about, and just try to catch Calgary napping, because they they wouldn't have prepared for him. They were prepared for Drew Willie. They weren't necessarily prepared at first for Matthew Schultz. And I think that the Alouettes should have taken advantage of that and let Schultz play the entire game. And for the most part, he did. And honestly, I admire the fact that he tried his very best and looked decent overall. There was a couple of miscues here and there. Like I said the interceptions yeah, was kind of yeah, stung. It really wasn't his fault, too. And it's uh, and I will admit, from what I saw, this was not this was not the Schultz of the of the of his first CFL and pro start in Hamilton last year. This was a completely different guy. No, far from it. Like this, this was a kid that was ready to go. Like I, I won't say 100% prepared because I think he knew that if Drew Lee was healthy, he was not going to see the field, but he kind of got thrown into the fire. And you know what? For the most part, he responded. And again, my hat's off to him. The, the, the kid's a gamer. And I love that. I love the fact that 
he took chances. And I don't know if it was Kahari Jones or if he just decided to take it upon himself and said, you know what, guys, I'm throwing the ball downfield. What are y'all better catch it? And he made it work. He, yeah. he used Tyrell Sutton nope. very well. Did he yeah. ever? Did he ever? I completely agree. Now, um, just look at the stats. Schultz is 16 to 25, 160, two interceptions, one touchdown. And we talked about before that the interceptions itself, one, he was getting hit as he threw the ball. And another, he he threw into coverage, but the receiver was there. It's not like these were, you know, these were really horrible, horrible interceptions. Um, have we heard anything, by the way, about Drew Willie? Because if anybody doesn't know, he, he had he he had a gash. He got a gash on his hand. He had he had the uh, he had the Tom Brady injury. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> have we heard anything about his about his status? How big a gash? Did he need stitches? Did he et cetera et cetera? Uh, didn't hear too too much about it. It was just listed as a hand injury, and uh, as far as Herb, I, I think it was Herb who said it was a gash. And as as far as I know, uh, he's probably on the one game injury list because uh, in practice so far, it's been uh, Matthew Schultz and Vernon Adams have been taking most of the first team reps. So I think it's safe to say that we definitely will not see Drew Willie at all this uh, Thursday against the Edmonton Eskimos. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I, I agree with you. A lot of people thought that this was going to be a blowout. I think, and I think one of the things leading up to it, at least the owls prepared for Bill Levi, because, you know, Bo Levi was not mentioned, you know, not mentioned as the starter until late in the week. And, uh, would this have been a different game if it wasn't Bo Levi? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, the owls may have had a, a better chance, you know, whether Drew Willie had gotten hurt or not. Um, but they ended up getting Bo Levi, which from what I saw, uh, his mobility, I think, seemed to be a, a less than what it normally was. He didn't seem to be the same Drew Willie. I'm wondering, uh, sorry, uh, the same, uh, no, Drew Willie's not been the same Drew Willie either. Uh, the, same, <laughs> the same Bo Levi uh, that he normally is. I think he was still hobbled a little bit uh, or being very tepid on his, on his feet. Um, but he was still able to do what he needed to do. I mean, monster game. Eric Rogers, monster game. Monster game, but the thing is, the Owls did a great job, Cliff, and I think this is what's kept them in the game, really, was the defense. Because, again, okay, yeah, sure, the Alouettes, the Alouettes gave up the points that they did, okay? Yes, the Alouettes only scored eight points. I get that, too. But, you know, I've heard on a few other podcasts, too, that, you know, the Owls, the Owls could have been blown out, but the defense really, it showed, again, it showed promise, and that's what we need to see. We just need to see it now, the other 50% of the team get into it, that seems like a bro- broken record. Get, mm-hmm. You know, get back in and uh, allow them a chance to rest, the defense to rest, so the Owls can go ahead and score points and score points and score points. Mm. It was a positive to see that. No, this, the one thing that I'm, I'm noticing more and more the past couple of weeks with the Owls is they know how to make halftime adjustments. They know how to find a way to have the defense has to shut things down, and they do. I mean, the fact that you were able to keep – Calgary to essentially a pair of field goals in the second half. Uh-huh. Against still Bo Levi Mitchell. Now one could probably make the argument that perhaps Bo Levi pretty much took his foot off the pedal once they had a healthy lead, and maybe he did. Who's to say? But still, like I said, in years previous, we've seen Calgary just wail on the Alouettes in Calgary. Last year, especially last year. But yeah, hey, 50- you gotta admit, at least the Owls get should the Owls get a half a half a win? They won the second half. They won seven to six. <laughs> I, I mean, if moral victories counted in the standings, I think you could make an argument for that. But uh, yeah, again, the, the, it just goes to show like they can make the adjustments, and this defense can shut teams down, especially a very good team like Calgary. Uh-huh. 
it's just now a matter of you can't let them pile points on you, and you've also got to respond. You've got to be able to score. And I, I think if Schultz was given just a little bit more time and just you know fine-tuned a few a few things a little bit better, I think it, this this would have been a completely different game. And the one thing I have to say, uh, apropos of nothing, is how impressed a lot of people were in the end. Like they, people too. Re- like you look on social media and people realized, okay, this was going to be uh, a blowout for sure. But I think a lot of people really admired the fact that Montreal was able to hang around mm-hmm. and keep things competitive, at least in the second half. And again, if a couple more th- bounces went their way. I, I'm not going to say they would have won the game, but I mean, at least the score doesn't reflect the effort that was put in, especially Agreed. during that second half. Agreed. And that's what we've been saying all year. As long as that they show that they are competitive. So far out of, I think, all the games this year, what, it's only been two games that they haven't been competitive. Mm-hmm. That's fair to say. Um, but they've controlled, they were control, they've controlled their penalties. I know they only had, they had eight this week. They had six the week prior, but st- they're able, they're, they're, saying, they're controlling it. They're not having the stupid stuff that they did in in years past uh sorry in weeks past um i i think for them again it comes down to their second down conversions again just not good and and unfortunately in the cfl when you only have three downs you have to be very successful on your second down conversions i think they were eight of was there eight of 19 i think something like that yeah um you're, you're not going to be calgary going eight and 19 on second down no you're you're just not. They're they're just too good of a team to put in that kind of an effort. It's just it's just not going to happen. No, uh, there were I said there were some sparks. There were some great things to to, to take away from this game. Um, I mean, first that touchdown to B.J. Cunningham. What a throw by Schiltz! Just yeah. a laser beam. Yeah, and it's funny. Like I was listening to watch or watching the game on RDS, and uh, Didier just had a, his halftime interview with with B.J. and he kind of asked bj about uh is as a as a veteran which bj is now how is he gonna what's what's he telling uh, a relative rookie like matthew schultz to sort of calm him down how how does he sort of help him be a better quarterback and bj pretty much said in in no uncertain terms that it's on me to help my quarterback out and make plays happen so sure enough that that first drive in the second half that led to the touchdown I was not surprised whatsoever to see BJ because I'm pretty sure he pretty much told his quarterback, listen, man, throw me the ball. I'm going to make something happen. And lo and behold, Schultz, like you said, threw a laser beam. BJ made a fantastic catch and pretty much helped salvage some of Montreal's dignity with that, uh, with that one touchdown. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that a touchdown on a Rouge or yeah. uh, you know, any signs of dignity but i mean considering you were playing who you were playing and the circumstances that led to everything uh again this this is what you come to expect from bj cunningham now you know that he can be a playmaker and he made that play happen so props to him uh props to schultz for an outstanding throw like he again he's not playing scary and that's what i love is that now we, we have a quarterback that's not afraid to take chances and that's the thing with drew willie he plays such a safe conservative game that he ends up overthinking and just making mistakes whereas shields made mistakes but at least you could see the efforts there at least yeah. you could see he's trying to make plays happen he's trying to kick this team in the ass a little bit and mm-hmm. that's what they need they need something to spark this offense because uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now scoring 69 total points uh thus far in 2018 
it's not cutting it. It's not even coming close to cutting it. You need that spark. You need that energy. And you're not going to do it by playing safe football, throwing out in the flats five yards in front of you. All right. You've got to heave the ball downfield. And, yeah, you're going to get burned once in a while, but that's a chance you've got to take. More often than not, though, if you've got that connection with your receivers and they know, they run their routes and they know what you're going to do, good stuff's going to happen. It's you just got to keep working at it. And I really hope this week in practice, I, I hope Schultz I, – I hope he realizes that. And I hope he keeps going with it. He keeps trying to make that connection with his receivers. And the more playing time he gets, the better he's going to get. That's all there is to it. Uh, Alouette's grand total, eight receivers got the ball this week. Eight receivers. <laughs> so it's, it's – I said, it, it's there. Uh, even for once, you know um, – Terrell Sutton is being used not only in the backfield, but also coming out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was combined. I think he, had, uh, he was the combined leader in, in, in total yards, I think, uh, on offense, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 90, 96, 96 yards total. There you go. I mean, listen, this guy is a playmaker. I don't. I, I sound like a broken record at times, but I mean, like the more you get Tyrell Sutton involved in your offense, the better things are going to be. And Schultz finally... It's, it's, it took him to realize that, it seems, because for the most part, Sutton's been ignored all season. And maybe it's just that it's that sort of security that Schultz had, knowing that Sutton, give him the ball, whether you hand it off to him or you throw it to him, you know that Sutton's going to make plays. To me, I think that was a great strategy, uh, something that I'm sure helped calm his nerves as far as stepping into a hostile environment like there is in, in Calgary. And I think that's the reason why, overall, the Alouettes didn't look as terrible as what they a lot of people were expecting them to. Yeah, I, I get it. Just looking at it, stats alone, it, it looked it looked very good. Uh, I mean, they needed to score some more in the first half. I mean, yes, they were up one nothing. Very rare. I think it wasn't that last time too that they played the Calgary that they got an opening kick rouge. I could swear, swear that happened the last time they played in Calgary too. Um, but what was your what were your overall thoughts uh, besides of the receiving core, but of our newest members, uh, especially on kickoff returns and punt returns? Uh, what was your 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 thoughts on uh, on Demorne Pearsonell doing punt returns? I see he did some kick returns too. What was your thought mm-hmm. on that? Uh, well, uh, again with special teams, I mean there was, it's still very much a work in progress, but. Uh, I thought overall he did okay as far as again replacing Stefan Logan is never easy no. and Pearsonell, I'm sure he knew that despite Logan's small stature he still had some pretty big shoes to fill and when you factor in all, all the factors that are there I think he did okay I was one of those things though that you really got to be able to create lanes I mean special teams as I said we're still work in progress uh, I still think that some of these guys really need to start laying the wood down and just creating any sort of lane to get a speedster like Pearson L get, get him some touches, let him get more than like five, 10 yards to, yeah. in returns. I mean, uh, listen, this, I don't care who you are in this league. If you're not, if you, if you cannot create space for your receiver to, or your returner to, to get open and just turn on the jets, you're never going to get that field position. You're never going to be able to light it up as they say. Yeah. So yeah. And I just noticed who Logan was placed on the sixth game. Along like just like Jeff Jeff Matthews was and and, and you know TJ Graham is still TJ Graham's on the sixth game. He's been there pretty much all season, okay. so I, yeah. I wonder if he'll be taken off those soon because he I think he's close to his sixth game. So, um, so I mean it's the game as I said, uh, it, it we I think the Owls look good for 
you know, for, for, for really the Matt Schultz time, I think they looked pretty good. They were slightly overmatched with some of the other things. and said Eric Rodgers had a monster game, but again, the positives were that they kept the rushing game in check for the for the uh, for the Calgary Stampeders. Um, huh? It's just you know the Owls need to score score points. You're not going to get it averaging just under 14 points a game and giving up to almost just under 30 points a game. You're going to get what you're currently at. Now I got and before we get to the Manziel stuff, this is a question that I wanted to ask you. The last time that we were in this situation with a brand new head coach. We'd never coached in the CFL before. Was Dan Hawkins? Yes. We're almost at the exact same point in time that year when he got fired. Mm-hmm. What is your thought between the two head coaches, between Sherman and what Dan Hawkins did in the same amount of games? I think the big key here is Mike Sherman was vetted a lot better by not just ownership, but by management. Like this was Cavus Reed's hire. Okay. Wow. Whereas oh, Dan Hawkins five years ago, it's hard to believe that it was five years ago. I, feels like a lifetime. <laughs> but Dan Hawkins, that was the Wettenhall family's hire. Yeah, and AC and, was still had and AC was still our quarterback. <laughs> wow. Yeah, time flies. Whew. And the funny thing was, like, yeah, they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were, the Alouettes were two and three, and AC was still playing some decent football. So I, I really think it just came down to Jim Pop, who was general manager at the time, I think was just looking for any sort of out. And between Hawkins and his uh, bizarre interviews and just the way he ran practices, I, I think Pop was just looking for any excuse to get rid of him. And mm-hmm. it's easy to say with a two and three start and some very questionable playing at that time. I'm, again, we're going back at least five years yeah. on this. It'd be very easy to sort of pull the plug there. Whereas this year, I mean, you sort of know what you're getting with, uh, let's say, the, the very basic, simple play of this offense. Uh, you can't really blame that on Sherman because going in, you knew he had no CFL experience. Right. You knew he was going to be leaning heavily on his coordinators, which he has been. And overall, I I find a lot of the play calling in 2018 to be very suspect. And I don't know if it's just as a result of the players that you have and that you've decided are your starters or if it's just bad decision making as far as which place to go with so it's it's so hard to tell so i mean that's why mike sherman's not getting fired no uh, i'll no, tell you that no, right now no because no, I, I think at the time we were all waiting for dan hawkins to get fired i agree with you on this one he uh coach sherman isn't he's not getting fired no i think uh like i don't i don't know just how much uh ownership was willing to believe in but i think they had to sort of realize that listen Cavis is our guy this is the guy we chose to basically build this team to rebuild this team. And if he thinks that Sherman is the guy, then we've got to see this through. And I think that's been a a huge problem. Not just the quarterbacking situation has always been a question mark here in Montreal the past few seasons. Uh, What's not the second question mark would definitely have to be the coaching staff because you can't keep switching out coaches and giving up on them halfway through. Right. Uh, You've got to be able to establish something like having Jim Pop as a head coach didn't work. Jacques Chaplin worked short term, but turned out not to be long term either. Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, yeah. Tom Higgins. I same think, idea. I think, I think, Higgins, I think Higgins, Higgins was okay. I thought he was okay. By the way, I think I, what mo- most people will forget too, and I know it's a completely different situation, but Mark Trestman started off as an Alouette head coach at two and three. This is true. Through five games. Yes, I understand AC was our quarterback. It's a completely different situation. But as you just said, different quarter, different staff, different players. 
you know, we're, we're talking, we're talking back in, we're talking back in 08. And don't forget too, Scott Milanovic was our offensive coordinator back then too. And he was also, again, similar situation, a former CFL quarterback like Kahari Jones was, yeah. uh, basically tasked to run an offense for a head coach that has no CFL experience. And there's some growing pains to be done because, yeah, even though 2008 you had Anthony Calvillo as your quarterback, an established veteran, uh, in 2018 you don't have an Anthony Calvillo or anyone even close to that same caliber in Drew Willie. Again, I'm not trying to harp on the guy, but let's be honest, Drew Willie is definitely no no Anthony Calvillo by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at the situations, like coaching-wise, like like when you talk about like the head coach and offensive coordinator, there are a lot of similarities. And I, I think Alouette's fans, it, it hasn't been easy, but I think it's just coming down to patience and letting these guys find their rhythm. And I have complete I, – I, I've been very critical with some of the play calling by Kahari Jones, but, I mean, by and large, he does have the experience. And maybe once a few more weapons kind of falls into place – Maybe that's what's going to take. Maybe it's finding that that quarterback that you know you can work with and you can truly mold and make your own. And I don't believe Drew Willie is that guy. And I'm also reluctant to say that Jeff Matthews would be that guy. Okay, but yeah, look at the young, the youngsters that we have at quarterback now. Right. Uh, and regardless of the big news that happened this week, if we just great- go stri- strictly on Matt Schiltz and Vernon Adams. If you you're telling me as a, a young offensive coordinator. If you can't take either of those two young studs, potentially young studs, and do something magical with them, then that's going to reflect big time on you as a coordinator. And especially, too, if you've got designs of being a head coach one day, like if you cannot mold these guys into winners, no one's going to have faith in you leading an entire team. So I think this is very much a a situation for Kahari Jones to sort of take ownership, knowing full well that... Mike Sherman doesn't really – he's still learning about this game. He's still learning about this particular style of football. Right. But Jones knows it. And if he can sort of foster that, if he can sort of take advantage of the situation and build upon it and make us at least a, a serviceable quarterback, if nothing else at this point, out of either Matthew Schiltz or Vernon Adams, that's going to reflect huge on, on Kahari Jones. And as you're talking, uh, it leads you know, into great segue, talk about a young quarterback. Um we found out. I was I was watching on Twitter, seeing it on Twitter. I was like, "What the hell, are people are talking about?" And I was like, "Oh man!" So it, it was announced, as I said, while you were doing an interview with the guys over at the uh, at the uh, Eskimos Empire Pod, uh, that the that there was a possible trade being worked out to to get Johnny Manziel, and then it was confirmed uh, by multiple sources, uh, you know, TSN sources. I think Justin Dunk was one of them. Um, uh, I think Didier or an RDS was one. Uh, there are multiples. There are multiple. Uh, Farhan Analogy, I think, w- broke it down too. Broke it out too. Um, so we now have Johnny Menzel. And, and I think one of the interesting things, by the way, before we get to the real talk about it, is that now, now we have two of the former quarterbacks who were playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on our team uh, mm-hmm. Vernon Adams and Johnny Menzel. And once again, we'll see how it happens with who, who gets what when it comes to playing time. But for those who don't know, <laughs> <laughs> What, what what was what players were involved and what else was involved in this trade? Well, if uh, if you haven't heard by now, and if you haven't, then shame on you because that's all what everybody's been talking about in the CFL universe for the past seventy two hours. Yes, Johnny Manziel is officially a Montreal Alouette. He came over along with Tony Washington 
and Landon Rice, both offensive offensive linemen. They came over to the Alouettes in exchange for Jamal Westerman, Chris Williams, and the first round draft picks in the 2020 and 2021 CFL draft. To me, that's very that's very bold. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the last time that there was a five-player. In, es- in essence, it was seven players, if you think about it. But a uh-huh. five-player. I'm trying to remember the last time there was. And it's, I don't think there were, the, there were this many players when Ricky Ray was traded to Toronto. Nope. There was only four. So what's your, what's your thought overall? First of who we lost. Uh, well, I'm, I am a little surprised to see Westerman and Williams go because – of Montreal's free agent acquisitions this year, uh, those were two that made a very positive impact on the Alouettes. Uh, Westerman, I thought, was doing a fantastic job alongside of John Bowman to really anchor that defensive line, and he was able to get to the quarterback and sack him. Uh, he, he made plays happen. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised to see Westerman signing with the Alouettes, and I thought, okay, yeah, he's going to come here and play with his brother Jabbar, and the two of them are just going to tear up, tear it up for the Alouettes, which would have been fantastic and jamal was actually doing a very solid job of that chris williams uh had some concerns because yeah he had some injury issues and that's why it didn't work out for him in bc but i have to say he he was starting to look like the old chris williams the one that played for the tiger cats and the ottawa red blacks and and he's an exciting playmaker and we were starting to see that we were starting to see some of that fortunately got dinged up in his uh, last game versus funnily enough the the red blacks and yeah, it, it's unfortunate to see those guys go because I thought they were great contributors. Uh, but to me, the one real crapshoot though has to be those draft picks. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I agree. You're talking about first round draft picks. I mean, don't forget, Montreal Alouettes do not have a 2019 first round draft pick as a result of the supplemental draft where Tyler Johnstone was selected. In essence, he's our number one draft pick, and he's also it, very close to starting, right? Well, he started uh, against Calgary. Okay, even there. So there we go. There we go. So, so okay. 2019 is out of the question right there as a result of that. And that's fine. That, again, you it, it, had you gone to the draft and had Montreal, it, God forbid Montreal were to you know f- end up in with the first overall pick again, they would have likely taken him anyway. So you know what? Now you get him a little bit sooner. You can start develop him, developing him that much quicker. So, okay, I'm good with that move. But to essentially give the Tiger Cats your 2020 and 2021 first-round draft picks yeah. is very, very dicey. Uh I, I did a little bit of research, and I happened to notice that over the past decade, there's only really been two first overall picks that have really made a major impact in the Canadian Football League. Okay. And we're talking about Hinoch Mwamba, who we all know and love, yep. and also uh, Simeon Rotier uh, of the uh, – I think he played for the, the Tiger Cats and the Eskimos. Uh, the rest have are either still a work in progress or ended up flaming out. So – to get the first overall pick is, in theory, a good thing. And again, always being having having the chance to select Canadian talent is never a bad thing. And if you have that faith in your your scouting staff and reviewing the tapes and just doing the homework as far as what, what you have to do when it comes to drafting this uh, these these young Canadian talents, you should. If you, if you don't trust your your scouting staff, then that's a whole other situation altogether. But having the first overall pick doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be taking the next great superstar. No, I know. Yeah. Sometimes you do find these diamonds in the rough. I mean, again, look at Bredor Jodet, for example. 2008, he was the last player taken, like, overall. Like, the, the literally, like, the, the Mr. Irrelevant position, as they call it in the NFL draft. Like, he was the last player. 
And doesn't mean he was the worst player. It just he happened to be the last one. And look at the career he's had. Like he's a surefire yeah. Hall of Famer. So by the time that the Alouettes have a have a draft pick again, it will be is it it'll be a twenty twenty three twenty twenty two, and they wouldn't have had a first round. They would have would have had a first round draft pick in was it five of the last six years? Am I doing my math correctly? Or is it four out of five? Four to five. Four out of five because they gave gave up one for Vernon Adams. Yep. And then we had one this past year. We had a pick this year. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, another thing, too, like, regardless of how Johnny Manziel turns out, as of, as of right now, he's contractually obligated to the Alouettes until the end of the 2019 season. Correct. Now, God forbid he lights it up, becomes the superstar, you know, that he, a lot of people are hoping and expecting him to be. And the first thing he does, as soon as he becomes a free agent, head back to the NFL. That or, means, or another league. Or another league. Or, or another league. That, that is true. But... His his thought is he's made no bones about the fact that he wants to go back to the NFL and that Canada, but playing in Canada is essentially the path he's taking to get back to the NFL. He he hasn't shied away from that. Let's say that happens. He ends up coming coming to the Alouettes. He lights it up, plays fantastic. He's a superstar. God forbid, maybe even win a Grey Cup and decides, okay, I'm cashing in. I'm going back to the NFL where I feel I belong. So that means Johnny Manziel, let's say – when the 2020 season starts, Johnny Manziel's playing in the NFL and Montreal's first round draft pick is playing for the Tiger Cats. And then the year after that, where Johnny Manziel is still in the NFL, the 2021 pick for the Alouettes is playing for the Tiger Cats. I, I mean, I say we are getting it. And I agree. I, I think if it would have been, and we talked about this more with our conversation uh, with, uh, with Marshall Ferguson, which we'll talk about, which we'll play in a couple couple minutes here. I agree. Because I think it's just way too much, way too much to, to give up. Um, and I would hope that, by the way, first and foremost, who do I think won, won the trade? I know that everybody's gone back and forth with this. To me, I think I think the Owls were the losers in this just just because of the of the draft picks. I think if you'd have gone player versus player, I think we probably would have gotten the better of the deal. But I'm hoping that if Menzel makes a difference, that he will reach out to some of the other players because. You know, sure, I understand he may want to go back to the NFL, but depends on does the NFL want him back. And also, you got you'll have a, a slight modification in how the CBA is done. So I'm wondering, I'm hoping that will play a factor into it. Also, if he plays well, the team wins. It can mean bigger and better things for him here. It's not a bad thing to be a former NFL player or a sorry, let me change that. A player wanting to get to the NFL. And having a long career here, it's not a bad thing. Look at a lot of the players and look at the superstars that we currently have in the CFL and that played for the Alouettes and played for the other teams. They made a life here for a reason. Because they ended up liking the game. They finally came to terms with things. But they are still able to play. And they're still able to make the money. And they're still able to make a difference. And I'm hoping, hoping. Because remember, he said he's, he's, made, he's made changes. He doesn't like his old self. I get that. He even said that during the press conference with the Alouettes. You know, if he gets changed that much, look into him. Hopefully, he'll look into inside and and say to himself, "What would better me as a player?" Not necessarily, not necessarily the money, and I get it. Money, money can solve most things, but as a player, to be a successful player, to be as successful as he was with A and M, does he want to be that Johnny Manziel, the player, not the person, the player, mm-hmm. or does he want to be the Johnny Manziel? 
with the Cleveland, Cleveland, especially the Cleveland Gladiators. Wrong, <laughs> wrong league with the Cleveland Browns. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And again, of every report that we've heard so far is that Johnny Manziel has been a model citizen since he's come up to Canada. Uh, he's been great with his teammates in Hamilton. Uh, he's been great with the fans as well. So I mean, I think he realizes that if he's if he doesn't take himself seriously, no one else is going to take him seriously. And he's got to prove his worth. Not He had to prove his worth when he was in Hamilton, and now he's essentially going to have to start proving his worth yet again now playing for Montreal. At least now in Montreal, he's going to get a chance to play. He was not going to get that chance in Hamilton because Jeremiah Masoli has stepped up huge. And yeah. I, I, think he, I think he had, in the back of his mind, he knew that, Johnny, the Johnny Manziel shadow was just looming over him. And as a result, it made him a better player. It made him step up and be accountable. And he's been playing outstanding football overall. So as long as Mazzoli was going to be playing great football, Manziel was just going to be standing on the sidelines holding that clipboard. Mm-hmm. Whereas now here in Montreal, just with how bad the quarterback situation has been, now Manziel does have a fighting chance to get on the field and actually prove his worth. Like he's only played a little bit of football, really truly. He's only played in the, the preseason, and he did okay in the preseason. So I think that's what really got people. That's what sort of wet their appetite a little bit. They want to see more. And now playing in Montreal, he's going to get that opportunity. He's going to get a chance to really prove to the world and everybody watching that he's not that Johnny Football that you saw in Cleveland. That he's not the. That he's grown and he's he's evolved from this uh, he's Johnny know, football. Bad... He's Johnny football 2.0. Well, uh, I, I think that's the idea, and if that's the case, then this is his opportunity to prove it. Like he's he's been given a sort of new lease on life again, and he's got to make the most of it. That's all there is to it. And I said it in the alternative is that there's no in between when it comes to this this move. It's either going to be a brilliant masterstroke of a move, or it's going to be the most epic fail you cannot have it one way it's got to be one or the other and only manzel knows just how the story is going to end so all we know is it's going to potentially start on thursday and we'll see what happens at that point i agree i agree and the good thing about it is being able to talk with somebody uh who has dealt with johnny manzel especially during the during the uh, the preseason being able to watch what he's been able to do. Uh, we were lucky enough to speak with Marshall Ferguson of TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Cliff and I had a chance to talk with him. Let's listen to that uh, that interview, and when we get back, we'll talk about this week's game. Well, after the big trade, we really, really need to find out a little bit more about who who is this Johnny football guy. Uh, what better way to find out is where John, where Menzel came from in Hamilton is to speak with uh, TSN 1150 in Hamilton's Marshall Ferguson. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I didn't think I would be a, a Johnny Manziel expert about six months ago, but you, you live close to the guy for a month and a half, and you see him every day, and you travel on the road, and you see him on the planes and all the rest, and all of a sudden you feel like you know a little bit more about him. Well, that makes it so, so much easier, especially when uh, folks down the States in, on ESPN, they they love them some Johnny football, so who better to talk to than someone, as like you said, you're, you're there with him practically every day, been there from day one of training camp, essentially, so... Yeah, you. I guess you have become a, a little bit of an expert on the guy, have you not? I miss him. I miss him, guys. All of a sudden, he's gone. My <laughs> life has changed. I, I feel lonely. I wake up in the morning. There's despair. There's no longer hope. The sun barely comes up here in Hamilton anymore. 
that's uh, i think it's just the weather pattern don't worry about it <laughs> the sun will rise the next day don't worry especially for tiger cat fans don't worry <laughs> um what what what, what can we say uh, about johnny football i mean uh, when you first heard of the trade itself and how many players it did include because i actually i was stunned what what was your reaction and then you know with the fans reactions over uh uh in tiger cat land I think my initial reaction, honestly, when I I actually woke up from a nap on Sunday afternoon um, because I woke up early to watch the the Open and I was watching Formula One in Germany and all the other stuff that I enjoy watching that isn't the CFL on weekend sports. And so I passed out. I woke up and I had about 10, 15 text messages from different people, whether they were friends or family or people in the business. And they were saying, what do you make of this? Who do you think of that? And I said, I have no clue who they got back. And I had actually, it was Farhan Lalji, I think, that texted me here's what the full deal is. And I said, wow, that's a lot of offensive line stuff to give up for the Tiger Cats. And that was honestly my first take, which mm-hmm. I mean, I'm giving you a full, complete honesty. That was my gut reaction was that kind of similar to the way that here in Hamilton, like Manziel was the headline and Masoli was the story, if that makes sense. Like that's what the first month and a half of the season has been is Manziel's the headline. Everywhere he goes, there's people in the stands throwing up the money sign, wearing the A&M and the Browns jerseys. But Masoli was the story. And when I looked at this trade, I thought, Manziel is the headline, but from the Hamilton perspective, I think for a lot of people, the story here is the fact that they've been able to draft so well on their offensive line with Drew Alamang that I think that what they've done is be able to deal from a position of power in which they can include other pieces, including somebody like a Landon Rice. Mm-hmm. And again, Tony Washington being an international, maybe a little bit less so, but they're also possibly replacing Tony Washington at left tackle with a national in Kay Okafor, who they drafted just last year as a defensive lineman from St. FX. So they've, they've done enough in, through the draft to be able to package parts, to be able to allow themselves to feel like they're still in a position of power on their offensive line. They can add to their defensive line by getting Jamal Westerman. And they can actually tie it in in a way that gets them more draft assets. So to me, this was a move about trying to build long-term success uh, by being able to flip Manziel for something more meaningful. And, and that was my first real true takeaway when I read through the actual trade and saw who was involved. Now, when you take a look at not just uh, Manziel himself, but also the, the overall aspect, it's easy to, I guess, depending on where your loyalties lie, who won the trade, uh, just right off the bat, and again, I know you're going into it completely impartial. Right off the bat, short term, who won the trade? I think who won the trade is TSN, first and foremost, because the, honestly, the ability to be able to promote games. Uh, and again, I respect Jeff Matthews. I think Tyrell Sutton's a great player. I love BJ Cunningham. I think he's a stud. I just don't know if you can promote Thursday night football coming up. It's the Eskimos and the Alouettes featuring insert name here at quarterback like it's really really tough to be able to do that at the most important position in football and it's it's the cold hard reality of pro football especially in a 19 league where if you have 32 teams like the nfl and there's five or six teams that have garbage quarterbacks nobody cares they're still going to watch your product because it's the nfl and it's the shield and it's everything else the cfl has to earn viewers every single time that they go out there and try to draw people in with their promos and if you have a nine-team league and you have even a third of your league that has not very good quarterbacks or up and down quarterback play, which is typical in the CFL. But when you have that, those three teams really struggle to garner interest in them. So I think TSN is the big winner on this because now you are going to see more Manziel and promos and and hype around it and Sports Center hits than you've ever seen before, which I honestly think is amazing for the Alouettes organization at the same time because it's good for the Alouettes, but it's also good for TSN. If you're talking just strictly the players that are involved and it's not about TSN, then I think that this trade long term is better for the Tiger Cats just because 
of the draft picks. If you were to tell me that it was Tony Washington, Landon Rice, and Johnny Manziel going to Montreal for Chris Williams and Jamal Westerman, I would say Montreal won this one going away. Because I've watched Tony Washington. I think he has a lot left in the tank. I think he's a very, very solid left tackle. I like Landon Rice. Uh, Landon Rice got beat out by a first-year player, sixth overall pick in Darius Sirocco from the University of Calgary. I was shocked by that because I thought he had earned the ability to be able to actually earn the starting right guard job. Darius Sirocco's done a great job, but I thought based on tenor and based on the way that he's been able to approach his career, Landon Rice was going to earn that. So he's a really, really good player. And then I'm telling you guys, I fully expect Johnny Manziel to ball out. Like, I know there's a ton of hype right now. I know people are going crazy about he's going to be the savior and he's going to fix the Calvillo curse and he's this and that. I don't know if he's going to do any of that, but I'm telling you right now, you put a football in that guy's hand and he makes plays. That's just what he does. Even June Jones said that the other day when he got asked, do you think that it's weird to trade the player that you deem to be possibly the best in the history of the CFL if he actually stays up here for longer than a couple of years? And June jumped on the person asking the question and said, oh, I still think that. And everybody in the room was like, so why would you trade the player that you think is going to be the best player in the history of the CFL? He's like, well, we got a good quarterback. We don't really need him right now. But he said he every time you put a ball in his hands, he's going to make plays with it. And so that, that I think, is the big part is that the players that are swapped in this, I think that the Alouettes won the trade. The draft picks coming back, if the Ticats hit on them with the success rate they've had in the draft the last couple of years, I think the Tiger Cats will win this trade in the long term. I actually think I, I, I agree with you because I looked at the, at the players themselves and then I saw, because, you know, as we all know, draft picks are very important when it comes to getting your Canadian content for your teams. I mean, remember, half the ratio really is, you know, Canadian content. Um, I, I, just, I just find it very weird, too, by the way, is that uh, the last two quarterbacks that were really up for trade for the Hamilton Tiger Cats are now both on the Montreal roster with John Menzel <laughs> and Vernon Adams. And on top of that, we only give up a draft pick originally for Vernon Adams and now this for Johnny Menzel. I, I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> it, well, I'll say this about the draft pick conversation. Like when you're mentioning about how you build your ratio, I saw Kavis Reed's comments today about um, the idea that when you're drafting, you really don't know what you're getting. It's a bit of a lottery when it comes to the top end of the draft. He was doing uh, and his he best Forrest Gump. Yeah, and that he comment. said that he, he thinks that he thinks that the the true value of the Canadian Football League draft is in the third round and deeper. And I agree with him. Like I think that that is a wise comment from somebody who has been around and seen the Canadian Football League draft. But I will say this: when you take some bullets out of your gun, you're less likely to hit your target. And so I, I think he's right to say that you find value third round and beyond. But he's wrong to say that you don't want to have first round picks. But you have to give up capital to get capital back. And if he deems Johnny Manziel to be the solution to what is arguably the biggest problem in the Montreal Alouettes organization when it comes to on-field success, then good on him for being able to trade some of that capital if he doesn't really care about it. Because that's his prerogative and that's his ability as a general manager to pull off that move. But um, I'm a big believer in being able to not just look at the CFL draft because I cover it so closely throughout the winter and say that's a throwaway pick at number six overall or that's a throwaway pick at number three because, well, you never know what you're getting with that guy. Once in a while, you get a Connor McGough who makes every damn special teams tackle. Like once in a while, you draft high and you get a Fredo Plessius, who's a really good player and has been asleep for a while, just signed by Winnipeg the other day. Like there are guys out there that you draft high and if you do it correctly, they can last in your organization and they can be productive as a ratio breaking type of player. So um, so I, I think that it's very important to have those draft picks, which is why I think the Ticats will win the trade long term, like I said. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The The players that are swapped here. When you look at it, I think there's value there for the Alouettes. And I'll say this, too. I always mention this on my radio show in Hamilton 
Um, there's a something that I picked up a couple of years ago when I was covering the draft that I love to use when I'm trying to figure out kind of mock drafts is uh, there's a difference between evaluation and valuation. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if you are looking at a player like a Landon Rice, you see Landon Rice and you evaluate him and you say, well, that's a, that's a pretty good player, but I don't know really what his value is to my team. So everybody evaluates him the same. Yeah, good player. The value of a Landon Rice to Montreal is higher than the value of a Landon Rice to Hamilton. And so that's why I think you have to look at trades in that way where you can evaluate a player. You might see it the same, but you have to think about the value of that player to the organization he's just been traded to based on where he just came from. Uh, it's true because, I mean, you look at some of the some of the guys you, know, you pick first overall, don't either A, don't come to the NFL, uh, to the CFL until later, or as an example, like the Calgary Stampeders and Randy Colling, he gets beat out in, in yeah. preseason and he's, you know, he's not with the, he's not playing with the team. So it's, I, I, I yeah, number ones can be a crapshoot, but it's, yeah. But let, let's get back more back to Manziel. I mean, from what you've seen from him on, on, on field, you know, we hear in the Montreal Gazette they use the word controversial quarterback, and I think that's so yesterday. I mean, is that really fair based on from what you've seen for, for the Gazette to put out a, 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 a headline for him, for a new player coming into Montreal? I think first and foremost, you have to look at who's writing the article when you're dealing with that and realize that if you're trying to drive interest in him, the people that don't understand the football angle on this as well as others will lean on his past. And that's something that I discovered when I was in Hamilton was if you don't actually want to talk football or if you don't know what you're getting in him and all you know is Johnny Football, the brand and not Johnny Manziel, the football player then you're going to kind of have a different twist on things. And it's not that you're trying to bury him. It's that literally people that are asked to write articles, they don't know how to break him down in terms of X's and O's. And so they just go, well, he was on TMZ a bunch. So let's go to that. And so I I understand that angle. But for me, uh, that's not fair. Because the last time that Manziel was controversial was probably 2016. Like that's the latest I could think of where he really made a strange decision that that people called out and questioned and thought was really bad for his future. So um, in 2017, 2018, outside of the negotiations with the Tiger Cats uh, and working out with a variety of different people and teams and trying to sort out where he was going to take his football future, I mean, what's controversial? It's a dude trying to make his way back to the NFL. It's yeah. just like a lot of players at a lot of different positions. Now, what have you seen in your brief time in watching him? What's the one thing that Montreal fans should be looking for? Like, as you said, the actual player, Johnny Manziel, versus right. the whole Johnny football hype, as far as just the way he, he makes his reads, the way he absorbs the playbook. Like, what are the things that sh- Montreal fans should be really excited about as far as Johnny Manziel, the football player? So there's a couple of things on this that stick out to me. The first is something that really jumped out and surprised me during training camp, which is when we think of Manziel, what's the first thing that you think of in the highlight reels? It is... Him outrunning the angles on defenders from Alabama, him sprinting mm-hmm. around in the pocket like a chicken with its head cut off, and everybody's looking at Doug Flutie of the videos of the past and going, oh, man, he's just going to be a crazy, crazy scrambler. That's always the argument when you talk about having a player like a Kaepernick up here or a Tebow or a Manziel is that they're going to come up here and they're going to use their legs and they're going to be a better athlete because there's a big field. What Manziel did in training camp that jumped out to me right away that guy can throw a football like and again I, I know that that's wow he plays quarterback thanks for the analysis Marshall but what, <laughs> I, what I'm saying is he's gonna really surprise some people when he gets given his opportunity he might have a bad ball or two that happens that's the nature of playing quarterback but he can make throws if he feels comfortable in the pocket and if he has receivers running to the places that he needs them to be he'll he'll blow your guys mind with some of the footballs that he can throw there's balls 
and again, it's this is the beauty of playing quarterback, and I love that I played it because I can break it down like this. He can throw, you know, an 18 yard seam ball that lands past 18 yards and inside 22 on a rope over a linebacker in front of a free safety. He can be rolling to his right and throw a sideline comeback 18 yards to the outside shoulder of the receiver with great accuracy. He can throw a five-yard out pinpoint on the outside shoulder to be able to lead the receiver up the field. He can throw a crossing route, uh, you know, 20, 22 yards into the middle of the field, and he can throw it into a window between linebackers, and he can move free safeties with his eyes. He, he does all of the stuff that you need from a pure quarterback, and I don't think people give him enough credit for that, and I certainly didn't until I got a chance to watch and critique him every day throughout training camp and the start of the regular season. So that's the first thing. The second thing is... When he does decide to run, he is always looking to throw. And I think that that's a major difference between people's perception of Johnny Manziel and the actual football player in 2018. Because I watched Texas A&M just as much as anybody, guys. I used to leave my university football games when I was a quarterback at McMaster. I used to, you know, we'd play our games at 1 o'clock. Manziel be kicking off at 4. Mm-hmm. We would finish our game at 3.30, 3.45. And as a university student... I would go to the locker room, take off my uniform. I wouldn't do any media. I'd hop on my bike. I'd rush home. I'd watch Manziel play games. Like I've watched him throughout his entire university career up and coming, and he's evolved as a passer and as a mature quarterback to the point now where when he breaks the pocket, he's no longer one pump fake and pulling it down and looking to try and make 17 people miss. Now what he's doing, and I've noticed it throughout training camp and even in that preseason game in, that they played in Montreal for the Tiger Cats, what he's trying to do is he breaks the pocket and he's got his eyes downfield better than anybody, I think, in the CFL right now, maybe outside of like a Mike Riley or a Jeremiah Masoli. Honestly, those are the two guys that I think when they break the pocket, they're looking to throw. They're, they're a great threat to be able to run, but they're very, very willing to throw the football down the field with timing, with accuracy. Um, that's Those are the two things that jump out to me is he's going to surprise people with how well he can throw the ball when he actually gets an opportunity. And he's looking to throw, which I think is meaningful because people don't realize that. They just think of him as a scrambler. You talk about the game in Hamilton that we had here, and yes, I was, I was a lot of the stuff you're saying. I agree with the guy can throw a rope, but most of the, the most of the uh, drives that he was starting when he was here and that he played in the preseason were short drives. Is he a quarterback? Do you think that would be able to uh, to be able to continue and do long drives? You know, normal drives from where teams actually start off in the CFL anywhere between the, the, somewhere between you know the goal line and the thirty five yard line, or is he yeah. or is he a, a quarterback where uh, I can do stuff when you know when I'm on the other uh, on the other side of the, of the field, but yeah, but on this side I'm I'm sort of a so so quarterback. It's a totally fair um, criticism because, again, being at that game in Montreal, the funny part about it was when Montreal muffed a punt, I think, at the end of the second quarter, start of the third, whenever he got in, that was when June Jones was like, oh, we have a short field? Okay, let's get Johnny some confidence because he threw him in the game immediately as soon as he got a short field. And sure enough, he went down and he scored and then they all moved on with their day. So it's I I get that. Um, The thing that I will say about this is that I Johnny surprised me every time I doubted him when he was here in Hamilton, whether it was preseason or practice. Every time that I wanted to look at him and say he's not going to be able to do X, Y, or Z, it might not be the first or second time, but by the third or the fourth time, he would do X, Y, or Z. And so I don't know what he's going to look like in terms of his ability to sustain a drive. What I do know is he's a rhythm thrower because when he got into hurry-up drills and practice with the Tiger Cats, all of a sudden – he stopped trying to think about, oh, my God, where the hell am I? Am I in Canada? Is everybody speaking French around me? What is happening? He shut that all down, 
and he just turned into a football player when he got into hurry up. So I expect Mike Sherman to use a little bit of tempo with him. He'll be a rhythm thrower and he might have, and this is the funny thing about this guy. And this is what I love about his mindset that I've noticed when he was in Hamilton was he could probably go a quarter, a quarter and a half with a bunch of two and outs. And there will be people in Montreal going, Oh my God, we traded what to get this, this guy, we can't move the football. What's going on. But what he'll do is he'll go two and out, two and out, two and out, three plays, a turnover, a fumble, a pick, and then he'll drive the length of the field like 80 yards three times in the fourth quarter and win you the game. So I just think with Manziel, Montreal's never going to be out of a game as long as he is healthy because that guy, as bad as he can look at given moments, you give him enough reps, he'll figure it out, and he's going to get reps now that he's in Montreal. You brought up Mike Sherman, which I think a lot of people now are starting to realize that there was a connection between Mike Sherman and Johnny Manziel from their Texas A&M days. Uh, to me, and you said yourself, you've seen uh, quite a few Texas A&M games. I'm of the impression it was a very short connection. Because again, when I think of Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, I think of more Kevin Sumlin as his coach. Do you think that the connection between Manziel and Sherman is a little overhyped? Or would you say it's about right? Or what are your thoughts on it? It's a funny relationship um, because, like you say, it was not long-term. It was basically the recruitment. And, and recruitment is a meaningful pro- part of a player's process of being able to kind of develop and, and move their career forward. But um, getting recruited is not the same as getting coached. And the year that Mike Sherman was still there with Texas A&M, Manziel was a redshirt freshman. So he was standing on the sidelines begging to try and figure out the play, like he said at his introductory press conference, where – He's, he's saying, can you please let me know? Can you please let And Sherman's like, please get out of my way because you're a redshirt quarterback and you're not doing anything for me. I have to focus on what I'm doing here on the game. And so I don't know why Manziel feels such affection for Mike Sherman, but it's kind of easy to tell that there's a natural connection there. So regardless of the amount of time they spent together, I think that it is meaningful that they've been kind of side by side in this journey. And now they feel like, like they said at the press conference, again, this has to work. Like if, if Manziel doesn't turn out, Sherman's not your coach and Manziel's not your quarterback and Cavis Reed probably isn't your general manager. If this works out, Sherman is your coach. Manziel is your quarterback and Cavis Reed looks like a genius all of a sudden. So um, that's kind of where you're at when it comes to that relationship. But I'll say this too about the way that they, they kind of connect and the way they run things. I thought June Jones was the only person that could possibly make Manziel feel at home uh, because he's a you know guy that coached in Texas at SMU that understands where Johnny came from that honored jo- uh, Johnny his first ever scholarship from SMU, uh, and I'm looking at this now being in Montreal with Mike Sherman. To me, I don't know how you guys feel about Mike Sherman. He's a very quirky and sometimes awkward individual. It's just it, that's the way that I feel about him from when I see him on television. I haven't spoken to him, so that might be unfair, but that's kind of my base perception of him. I don't know why the suave, cool Johnny football feels a connection with the awkward, clunky uncle and Mike Sherman, but there's something there where they just get along and they seem to be on the same wavelength. So uh, whatever it is, I think Alouette fans have the right to be hopeful that they're going to be able to connect. Well, you're not wrong with the uh, the quirky awkwardness because I don't know if you remember the uh, that, that one win against the Rough Riders. Already. Yep. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's unfortunate because, yes, no matter how it seems like no matter how good Mike Sherman is and what he's able to get out of his players, I think that's just going to end up being more the signature from him, if you will, as far as his Canadian Football League stint goes. I, uh, I think that that's that's fair for the start of his career, but I think that that'll be overridden by any success that he has moving forward because we all love to laugh and joke, and that's what part, part of what makes the CFL great. Hell, I you can tell from my Twitter account, I like poking fun at everything because I think we should laugh at sports because that's what sports are for. But um, I, I do think 
I actually I, I draw the awkward kind of clunky comparison more from the live mic game against the Calgary Stampeders than anything else this past weekend where he's kind of on the headset and he's like, you know, you hear Dave Dickinson constant communication. You know, hey, Bo, what are you doing over there? Okay, Derek, Terry, back up 10 yards. Okay, no, the wind is going this way. And then once in a while, they would turn on Sherman's headset, and you would just hear him kind of like mumbling to himself. He'd be like, <laughs> well, if we, he'd be like, well, if we get a double to the nose, then we might be able. I don't know. <laughs> like, he just kind of like he's, he's constantly trying to figure it out, but he's just a different type of coach than a lot of other people in this league. So I don't dislike him in any way. I just I think it's interesting to have this combination of those two guys that seem like polar opposites trying to work together and create something special. Oh, I, I look at it this way. Uh, so far, Coach Sherman uh, hasn't been fired yet. He threw five games and. Uh, uh, I can't say the same for Dan Hawkins. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Looking at, as we know, sometimes you get some big names coming to the CFL, and especially the, the Alouettes have had their had their fair share. And I'll give you know Troy Smith and Michael Sam are two of a few. Um, what's to say, you know, that Johnny Manziel isn't in that same class of player? What would what puts him ahead? of these other big-name guys who have come to the CFL and have failed? In terms of his ability to be able to sustain, I just think it's because those guys that came up here, I don't know what their end game was, honestly. Um, when when they came up, they had a goal of playing football, and probably their goal was to make it back to the NFL at some point and reach the starting that they had understood previously. For Manziel, the only goal he has is to get back to the NFL. Like, and I don't, I don't know that if that's going to change. I don't know. Maybe he falls in love with Montreal. He's there for ten years, and this is one of the craziest, most awesome journeys that CFL fans have ever been on. But to me, this is a two-year plan for him to be able to prove that he can be a quarterback. He can play at a high level, and he can control himself off the field to get back to making a whole boatload of money and being in the NFL once again. And I think that that drive, that motive is what changes him because those other guys that you mentioned, they might've had that goal, but it wasn't explicitly laid out and it wasn't on display for everybody to be able to see like Manziel, he's going to go out for a beer once in a while with teammates. He'll go to a baseball game, you know, he'll go out probably Montreal impact once or twice and hang out with people and everybody will lose their mind because, Oh my God, Johnny Manziel is being social. Well, guess what guys? He's 25, 26 years old. Like he's going to go out once in a while with his teammates and be social and team build. That's a normal part of society. But I don't want people to take that out of context that, oh, he's, he's falling off the wagon and he's not going to be good anymore because he's, he's not focused on his goal anymore. His singular goal that I learned when he was here in Hamilton was do everything right in order to earn yourself an opportunity. And I think that's the difference between the other guys you mentioned and him and where he's going to end up. It's very much you talk about opportunity, especially with the new rules that the CFL just you know, uh, decided to bring back that NFL window. Uh, when his time comes where he's eligible, do you think he would take it or, based on the situation, or do you think he would say if he's comfortable enough here and he's doing well enough, would he stay and make it a long-term a long-term thing in Montreal and the CFL? I do wonder about that. My leaning is towards him taking an NFL job as soon as possible. The problem is how much trust does he have from NFL personnel because they can trust you to come into training camp but like, let's say he goes to Montreal and puts him in the playoffs this year and really enjoys it and fall in lo- falls in love with the CFL and the fact that the CBA says you can only be there in, in the facility for X amount of hours per day and it's a different lifestyle and it's more laid back and he's in Canada and everybody's accepting and the people of Montreal take him on. Johnny Manziel loves being loved because he was that in high school and he was that at Texas A&M. Um, people want his story to happen again in the NFL, and the scope is so much larger in the National Football League that it would mean more. But at the same time, 
if he's going to go to a training camp, he's got to have some kind of assurance that he feels confident at that point that he can beat out anybody that's on that roster for at the very minimum a backup spot. I don't think he's leaving. I don't think he's leaving the CFL as a starter, an established starter, and somebody who loves the game. If he does end up becoming those things to become a third stringer or a practice roster guy. I just don't see that because um, he loves the stardom. He loves the attention. And I think that's a good thing for a quarterback, but he's not going to throw away an opportunity to be a starter somewhere in order to just kind of ride the bench and be a laughing stock in the NFL again. And then who knows, you know, if he goes somewhere, let's say, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben retires in a couple of years, they bring him in and Johnny becomes the third stringer. And then halfway through the year, they decide to release him because of salary considerations or something else. And then he bounces around and he ends up with the, with the chargers and then he's there for a year and a half. And then he makes his way over to the Cleveland Browns again in a backstory. It's like, I don't think Johnny wants to be the guy who bounces as a journeyman backup around the league. Uh, he wants to be a starter and he wants an opportunity. He's got that in the CFL. So it remains to be seen, but I, that's just my general feeling is that he wants that feeling again. And I don't think he'll get that feeling. He'll get that money, but I don't think he'll get that feeling if he goes back to the NFL and bounces around as a backup. What about the the options of the new XFL or the Alliance? Because uh, you know it's a different type of football now, especially for Johnny Football. He is a, he is a lo- he'll have a lot more opportunities to possibly be a starter elsewhere. But I guess it's just a matter of uh, if he decides to stay or which opportunity he would take if it's given to him. Yeah, the the Football Alliance uh, of America, I find very interesting because the salaries are better. They are paying in American money and they are kind of running in major markets and they have a plan to be able to kind of have athletes um, that are, you know, regionally recruited. I don't know if you guys have read the story on Bill Plant's comments and all of that, but basically for your listeners that don't know, if you played at Texas A&M, then you would be uh, basically slotted into the team that's closest to Texas A&M. The amount of Texas fans that we had following Manziel, whether it was on ESPN or on Twitter or whatnot, um, when he was here throughout training camp in the start of the season, was insane. If he gets an opportunity to go and play for a team, and you know, I don't even know where the, the Football Alliance teams are down there, but whatever the team is that's close nearby, uh, he would jump at that, I think. He, he would love the opportunity to go back down south and play that type of football again. Um, but again, that raises the question of how legitimate is that league and how uh, substantial is the confidence that people that know football in knowing that that league is going to last longer than three, four, five years. Because right. I don't I don't think Manziel wants to leave a starting spot in the CFL where he feels good if he ends up getting to that spot. Taking a, taking a starting job in the Football Alliance and then three years down the road, he's in that league, it collapses, and all of a sudden he's 29 and he doesn't have a league to play for and the NFL doesn't come calling. And then it's like, well, do I go back to Canada? Like It's, it's one of those things where it makes a lot of sense for him to go south again to that league if the NFL isn't the right situation and if he wants to jump down south. But I think the league has to be legitimate. The good thing for him is that they've got about a year or so to be able to prove to him that they are legitimate yeah. to everybody else before he makes the jump from the Canadian Football League. And by the way, just just to, to close this one, it's uh, uh, Birmingham is actually the team that holds the quote-unquote rights to players that played in Montreal. Ah, very nice. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was related between CFL teams directly well, to the franchises. It's both. Yeah. It's both. I mean, it's really weird. It's like we're a farm team, so to speak, or, or not, not, <laughs> not, it's wrong term, really the wrong term to use. Um, but yeah, uh, Cliff, let's uh, ask Chris, let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, you, you certainly said a lot and there's certainly a lot to take in, but uh, more than anything else, what are you looking forward to on Thursday when the Edmonton Eskimos play the Montreal Alouettes? I, I've got a feeling... Johnny's going to dress. There's no question about that because right now the hype train in Montreal is full steam ahead. Does he actually take the field at all or or not? 
I think Johnny dresses like you do, Cliff. I think he he plays in this game on Thursday night. I don't know when it is. I don't know what the package is for him. I will say this. Uh, when you're trying to figure out how to put a backup quarterback into the game because you want to start to kind of feather him in, it's not real good for your overall team success. So I'm not expecting a whole heck of a lot from the Alouettes on Thursday night. But I don't think anybody cares on Thursday night. This is the weird stardom that he brings with him, which is the Alouettes could lose this game by 40. And the Eskimos aren't this overwhelming power. I don't think this year that a lot of people deem them to be. But I do believe that if Menzel gets in and he goes 9 of 10 like he did in the preseason and throws for 150 yards and a touchdown, the Alouettes could lose by 40. And SportsCenter will lead with, hey, did you guys see Johnny Menzel tonight? Like, it's a regular season game, and they're still yeah. not going to care about the score because this is the headline. Again, it's it's the headline versus the story. The headline is Manziel. The story is whatever happens with the actual game itself. And so I genuinely believe that he'll get in. I think that he'll play well. Like I say, this dude is going to ball out. I have I have a ton of confidence that Johnny is ready to go, that he, he needed the opportunity, that he's earned the opportunity, that he's going to make the most of it. Um, what I will say, too, is the game next week against the Hamilton Tiger I was about Cats. To say, about and, to bring that up, too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That game is going to be an absolute circus, and I can't wait. Like, I'm, I'm actually having a hard time preparing for the Tiger Cats Red Blacks game this week because I don't really care. Like, that's how weird this has gotten, where it's an East Division game. The Tiger Cats haven't played a team from the East yet, and yet I'm looking at the schedule and I'm going, yeah, that's cool. I'll call this game on Saturday afternoon for TSN Radio. I'm excited about it. It's good. It's another game, another chance to prove yourself. I like watching Trevor Harrison, William Powell, and Greg Ellingson and Sinopoli. I like those guys. I'm excited about it. But as soon as that game is done, literally the second that the final whistle blows, my attention turns towards six days of Manziel versus Masoli prep because I can't wait for that. I actually love Percival Molson. I love the feeling of that stadium on a Friday night. I love it when the lights come on and the sun goes down. I think it's a great place for football. I think that game is going to be crazy. I have no clue what's going to happen in it, but I can't wait to watch it. It makes me wonder because with all the all the all the plus that uh, all the press that ESPN in the U.S. has been making a big deal about the Manziel games. If could you see it, guys? If they actually move that game from ESPN two to their main network, oh uh, my! Yeah, it's a total possibility. And I'll say this too: um, the the press box in Montreal next Friday night is going to be more full than you've ever seen it before because we experienced it in Hamilton for the preseason game and preseason week one against the Toronto Argonauts. There were people from Fox, from ESPN, from Buffalo, from USA Today, from Sports Illustrated. They all showed up. Um, they they weren't loud, they weren't brash, they weren't there to grab attention. But at the same time, it was a preseason game, and he wasn't even guaranteed to play the full game. If they say early in the week next week that Manziel is the starter and he's going up against his old team in the Hamilton Tiger Cats, everybody's showing up. It's going to be a party in Montreal, unlike anything we've seen in the last ten years. Yeah, it's I, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic because you know ever since AC has gone down, everybody's heard the stats about how many quarterbacks have started for the Alouettes since then. I guess it's really the, that that we it's all that we can be, a Marshall. It's just optimistic because cautiously optimistic because it is what it is right now. We just got to see results. Yeah, hundred percent. And that that to me, I think, is what makes sports fun, and that's why I think the Menzel story is one that's worth watching moving forward because you don't know where it's going, but you know that you need to watch it. And as and as I've said before. There's no in-between. This is either going to be a brilliant move or a colossal <laughs> failure. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's the beauty of this thing is 
you either, you take the leap of faith and you either crash and burn or you soar right into the sun and you continue to have success with it. So um, I'm I'm just excited for the journey. I think that that's basically the synopsis of a lot of people in here in Hamilton is we're happy to see Johnny get a chance. And now we just want to see what it looks like because there was this curiosity in Hamilton that what if he had a chance to play a whole bunch? We never got that answered. And now we will in Montreal. Marshall, where, where can people listen to you and, and hear you? Uh, I am just 6 to 9 a.m. on TSN 1150 Hamilton in the mornings with my co-host Kyle Mello. Uh, we basically just try to be idiots for three hours and wake people up in Hamilton while we talk a bunch of CFL. Uh, and then I do, of course, the Ticats games play-by-play on TSN 1150 Hamilton as well. And then just writing on CFL.ca and, uh, yeah, just having lots of fun covering the game and enjoying conversations. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's good stuff. It's always nice to chat with some of the different podcasts and, and focus more on a singular team. I don't get a lot of chance to talk strictly Alouettes, but I'm hoping that changes moving forward because uh, I think this is going to be one of the defining storylines of the CFL season. Let's let's hope. I know. Let's hope. <laughs> well, greatly appreciated. Uh, we hope to have you on again. And uh, maybe in a couple of weeks, Cliffy and I will come up and we'll, we'll bang on the uh, press, press box door and say, hey, Marshall, let us in. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Happy to. All right. Thanks a lot. Once again, thanks for uh, thanks for Marshall to, for joining us. Hey, <laughs> you know what? You can tell being you know, play-by-play play guy for, for, the, for the Tiger Cats, working with TSN, the local radio station. The dude knew a lot about Mansell. That we, if you are a fan of and did not know anything about Johnny Mansell, and you lived in Montreal, now you know a lot about the stuff that we did not know about Johnny Mansell. Oh yeah, I, my word. Yeah, again, thank you so much, uh, Marshall, for joining us. So that was fantastic. I mean, definitely a lot of really insightful things. A lot of stuff that even I'm sitting there, like you know, I'm, I'm processing all of this. I, I've been doing it since uh, Sunday evening, and. Some of the stuff that Marshall came out with, I'm just, I'm a little gobsmacked to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm I, think caught, I think it's I, pre- I think it's prep because he. De- I can imagine what Rick Moffat and Joey Alfieri and hell Ben Cahoon was in the in the booth this week. So I can just I can just imagine what kind of prep that they do. And you do you you're great on prep too. For you to say that, for you mm-hmm. to say that he knew he he knows a hell of a lot. That's 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 showing the uh, sign of somebody willing to learn and somebody who does know their stuff. So uh-huh. pr- props to you, bud. Props to you. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. Again, I, I'm i still going into this situation with Manziel as cautiously optimistic as one can. I I don't want to make any speculations about what's going to happen. Until he takes the field, God only knows what's going to happen. I, I, I'm of the opinion that, yes, he's going to dress on Thursday, and I, I honestly wouldn't expect to see him in any situations, but it seems more and more as practice goes, it looks like, they may try to get him in on some very, very limited action. I, I personally think you know what, the fans are going to be coming to the game to see Johnny football. That's mm-hmm. what that's that's what they're selling. The the team's been selling this pretty much from from Jump Street, is that this is Johnny Manziel's first game and you got to buy tickets and you got to see him and this is your chance to do so. And uh, I which, think people are going to which Jump Street, the reboot <laughs> or the original TV series? Ah, going old school on that one. Yeah. <laughs> which one? Which, the, which, the movies. Okay. We're You're going to keep, with the movies? Yeah, I'm going with the movies. Oh, uh, okay. They're entertaining. Anyways, but people are going to – they're buying into the Mansell hype. At least a lot of people, from what it looks like, is they're ready to go. They're ready to jump on board the, the hype train, as I've been calling it, for, for Johnny Football. And you know what? Fine. Trot him out there in the uniform. He's going to be wearing the number two that everybody knows and loves. And listen, he's going to get out there and, and do stuff, but – yeah, I mean, as far as actual play play calling and all that goes, it's not going to happen. Like a couple of days of practice, it, it's not going to work. Uh, 
maybe short yardage situations, maybe. But I, I honestly couldn't see anything more than that, to be honest with you. No, I think I agree. I agree. And by the way, I'm very surprised you went with the movies because considering the original Jump Street had another Johnny, Johnny Depp. So you, you just you piss me off. <laughs> I, I, you know what? That was that was my bad. That was my bad. <laughs> <laughs> you got to catch on. I it's subliminal. Got to catch on. Um, yes, I, I think it's the right thing to do. This isn't preseason. Have a, a limited package for what he can do. Uh, that's been assigned to him. Um, it sounds like Vernon Adams will most likely get the start, which I'm very actually. I'm really looking forward to seeing, especially after speaking with him during the the fan uh, fan members day. I'm really interested in see that to see how he does because uh, he, he, when we talked to him, that he was, you know, he, he was he wants to play. The dude wants to play. Yep, he, he really does. I mean, does does Vernon Adams need to have a good game if if he were to impress? Could we have another situation? I understand they brought they traded for Johnny and they, what they gave away gave up for Johnny. But is there any way that that, that we could have another Mazzoli Manzel situation here where if Vernon Adams does well this week and we beat Edmonton. Do you see that occurring or is it a foregone conclusion now that Johnny Menzel will be the quarterback heading into next week's game versus his old team, the Hamilton Tiger Cats? See, my thought is Ferdinand Adams definitely has to have the game of his life on Thursday. Okay. If, if he, if he's starting, he's got to, he's got to light it up. And you and I, we've, like you said, we talked to him during the fan day uh, and like he, funny enough, he was in training camp with Johnny Manziel, so he. This has got to be like deja vu for him all over again. Six degrees, it's told you. Six degrees of Johnny Manziel. It, it really is, and I, I think if I'm Vernon Adams, I can't let any of that get in my head. I can't focus on anything other than going out there and playing balls to the wall football. Like he's got to go and. He's got to be that leader, and he's all he's wanted is a shot. All he wants is a chance to prove it. I mean, the guy's three and zero as a CFL starter. You'd think that would be enough to to get some sort of uh, credibility, but apparently not uh, in this league, which is baffling to me. But that's a whole other story. Simply put, if Vernon Adams goes out there and he has a monster game, believe it or not, I feel that would also help benefit Johnny Manziel tremendously. Why? Because. There's no pressure to put Manziel in. There's no pressure for him to learn the playbook in a couple of days and get out there and be the guy that everybody expects him to be. Why not just gradually let him get get acclimated, let him become a part of this team, knowing full well that if Vernon Adams come, goes out there and he lights it up and he plays outstanding football, then all of a sudden the issues with the quarterback, they don't necessarily go away, but they don't seem quite as terrible as a result. I think Vernon Adams goes out there and he plays a fantastic game. And even if Manziel gets in there for a little bit, like whether it's just, like I said, short yardage or just limited situations, that's fine too. But if Vernon Adams goes out there and plays an amazing game, I think the pressure's off on Manziel and the Alouettes because now they don't have to rush this guy and make him, you know, make out uh, the next game versus the Hamilton Tiger Cats to be this uh, really huge thing. Just let Adams play. We know he's a talented player. We know that he can make stuff happen. Let the kid play. Let him wow us again. And that's all he's ever wanted. Like that, Just talking with him, you can see it in his voice. You can hear it in him. You can hear the passion in him that he yeah. just wants to, he wants to, he wants to be that guy. He wants to be the guy. And you know what? I think this is one of those cases where iron is going to sharpen iron. I think he knows that 
the Manziel thing is going to hang over his head just like it was hanging over Jeremiah Masoli's head in Hamilton, and it made him a better quarterback. Uh, funny thing, too. Also, Mazzoli, a former Oregon Duck, like Vernon Adams. So maybe we just might see that uh, uh, lightning strike twice again. And maybe this helps bring Vernon Adams to another level and helps him play that that game of his life that I feel he's going to have to play to really, truly impress upon yeah. the Alouette's coaching staff and also essentially everybody else that's going to be watching this game. I think this is going to be Vernon Adams' chance to really prove that he belongs 100% and that whatever hype that was there with him in the past is legit. And yeah, everybody's going to be looking for Johnny football. Everybody's going to be looking for Manziel to get out there and do something. But if Vernon Adams goes out there and he throws like three touchdowns and makes no mistakes and helps keep the Alouettes competitive against a very good Edmonton Eskimo team, I think that's a story in and of itself. And as far as I'm concerned, I think it just makes for an even better scenario overall for the Montreal Alouettes. I, I agree, and I'm just looking at the stuff here. Man, it's you know, we had it was the rain game last year when Edmonton came in. You and I were there, sitting in the rain and loving every minute of it. Um, I, I think, and I agree with you. It's, God, it's going to be. I, I hope things play out the way they should. May, first and foremost, the Alouettes need a, a a starting quarterback that starts for more than just one game. I understand Drew Wheelie did that, but I think what you know, he started four times this year for the team. I think what most people forget, though, too. Uh, Cliff, is that Vernon Adams is undefeated as a starter. He's 3-0 and as a starter. And it wasn't 3-0. For, for the Owls. For the Owls. That's my point. He wasn't 3-0 and for an outstanding football team that didn't need him to be an outstanding football player. Like, this, this was an Alouettes team two years ago that was just awful. And not as awful as last year, but... You know what? He came in, and maybe it was just the simple idea that they had nothing to lose. They could just throw caution to the wind when it came to him, and he lit it up. He did extremely well. Again, three and zero, and it wasn't like uh, against you know really bad football teams. I mean, he he just went out and played his game, and he commanded. He he led the team, and that's all you want from your starting quarterback is someone that can pick up pick up his socks and say. Let's go, guys. Let's let's do this thing. And Vernon Adams is that quarterback. He can be that quarterback. And I, I have to believe that come Thursday, win or lose, if he goes out there and plays an outstanding game, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to sit up and take notice. And yes, obviously people are going to be clamoring for Johnny Manziel. It, it's a foregone conclusion. But if Vernon Adams goes out there and plays outstanding football, and because God forbid he wins the game and is essentially 4-0 as a starter, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at Vernon Adams in a whole new light, in the light that they should be looking at him, right. quite frankly. Now, coming into the game, the Alouettes have actually, would you believe, Cliff, they've lost eight straight, home and away. They've lost eight straight to the to the uh, Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, it's the, their, I think it's the second longest streak, recent streak, to losing 11 straight from 1978 to 83. They've Ooh. lost eight straight to Edmonton. And if you look at the quarterbacks who, who the Alouettes have had only once, Cliff, they had the same quarterback under center for, for consecutive games, and that was Kevin Glenn. Oh. No, Troy Smith, uh, Jonathan Crompton, Kane Cato, Kevin Glenn, Kevin Glenn, Rakeem Cato. Oh, sorry, but back-to-back. Sorry, back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. Darren Durant and Drew Willie. So it is, I think, the, the Owls, again, a good game. I, I'm, I'm just, I, I, everything I, I have, uh, for once I'm speechless, I actually agree with everything you said. I can't dispute it in any way. 
by the way, because of the situation of quarterback, once again this week as we're taping, there's still no line on five dimes for this game. So I know a lot of people are it can be into betting, but if, if look, check five dimes uh, later on in the week or your local sports book and see what the, what they're offering for the game. But it's so far nothing. Mm-hmm. So far nothing. So. And also, too, uh, we'd be remiss not to mention that uh, easily lost in all of the hype of the, the Manziel trade is yesterday, or Monday, I should say, the Alouettes made another trade. I know. And brought in another receiver, and one Adarius Bowman. And they didn't give up really any player or anything yet because it's conditional. Yep. So uh, essentially, uh, uh, Adarius Bowman, who has been a fantastic player over the years, uh, has not looked all that great in Winnipeg, On to be honest with you. Uh I just think maybe it just wasn't exactly the right fit for him. So I think it sounds kind of funny to say that maybe a, a change in scenery is going to do him good. I think that's the hope anyways, even though he just had a change in scenery going from Edmonton to Winnipeg. But uh, it didn't work out for him in Winnipeg, which is interesting because he started he actually started his CFL career there. But now he's coming to Montreal. And again, a big body receiver, uh, someone that can get – open and go deep as well which is always nice uh, i mean these are these are good things i i know we've got uh, some talented receivers and we've got uh, guys that are practically disappearing like ernest jackson who has not been targeted very often no. if at all yeah. uh, i don't know if uh, bowman would necessarily replace jackson in uh, in the slot but uh, I, and i wouldn't want him to because i think he's much better off uh, as your uh, as your outside guy like I said being your that deep threat Essentially, he's going to be replacing Chris Williams, who was traded to Hamilton. Uh, I don't know if he's actually going to – as far as I know, I don't believe he's actually reported to practice yet. But uh, uh, so as a result, I don't know if he's going to actually make it into the game on Thursday. But uh, if he does and he gets a chance to get into the rhythm and, and, and be a part of this receiving core, I'm, uh, same thing, cautiously optimistic. So uh, see what he can do. I mean, like I said, the name Darius Bowman does still carry a fair bit of weight in the Canadian Football League. So – I'd be curious to see just what he can do, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, seeing what he's got. Yeah. Now, something that we don't normally do, and just just to finish up the before we finish up the show, I'm going to ask you a question. But before I do, do not forget that we are on social media. We are in multiple places, and you know where they are. But I'm going to let you know about them anyways. You can catch us on Twitter. You can catch us on Facebook. Uh, those are both. Uh, Twitter is uh, at uh, Alouette's FL Tech. It is Alouette's Flight Deck on Facebook. And if you want to listen to any of the, the other episodes that we have done over the past multiple years, then you can go over to our main spot over at alouettesflightdeck.ca, which brings you over to our, our Facebook, to our page over on, on Podbean. But you can also check us out on Google Play Music, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and you can also check us out on Stitcher. And I have no, I, for, I have forgotten one more, haven't I? Spotify. Thank you. And Spotify. Um, so... My question to you is, and this is it's something that we don't normally do, the game itself, not saying who, who's going to win, whatever, the game itself, do you think what will be the point differential in this game? Point differential? For the winner. Mm. For the winner. And, and I'm being vague on purpose because, as I said, we usually don't choose who wins the games. No. But in this, in this circumstance, what, what would you think? Well, I think... Uh... When you're playing Edmonton, again, Mike Riley just—he knows how to win. He knows how to put points on the board. Vernon Adams, he too knows how to win. Uh, he too can, in the past, has put points on the board. Truthfully, I, I think if everything as it sits right now, 
I think we could see a shootout. Oh, I, I, nice. I think uh, I really believe this team is going to rally around their quarterback, whether it was going to be Vernon Adams, Matthew Schultz, or God help us, Johnny Manziel. I think the potential to score points is there. And I, I, I think Edmonton, they've had a fair number of injuries on defense. I'm not saying they're weakened by, as, uh, by any stretch, but I, I think that the potential for points to be put on the board for the Alouettes is definitely there. We know Edmonton's going to score. They've got so many talented receivers, and Mike Riley just makes plays happen. He knows, he, he's a winner through and through. Right. I really think, all things considered, looking at the teams that as, as it sits right now, I really think we can see a shootout. I really think I, I'm not going to obviously say who wins and by how much, but I definitely could see double-digit double digit scores for both teams and fairly high double-digit scores. That would be nice to see. I would love to see Alouette, yeah. Alouette score 30 points. That would be nice. <sighs> My word. I, uh, there was a time when scoring 30 points for the Alouettes pretty much guaranteed a victory. So if that were to happen, I, I wouldn't complain in the least, but... Uh, one thing, one thing's for sure: the these single digit scores oh. are just—it's not going to happen. They've You're had not too gonna, many, too many goose eggs this year. No, it, too many two and outs, too many failed drives, too many bad things happening. Something's got to give, and I really think that with all the noise, with all everything that's going on right now in Montreal around the team in regards to the this news, I have to believe that this is. I don't want to say re-energized, but I definitely think it's kind of changed the mood a little bit in the room. And yeah. I think it's maybe this is what it's going to take to help them refocus and realize that, you know what, once we play our game properly, we're actually not that terrible a football team. Uh, again, we, watch there, the past two signs. There have been positive signs. The past two games, they made adjustments in the second half and managed to keep points off the board. It's just a matter really now of the defense shutting down for four quarters as opposed to two. And this offense needs a kick in the ass. Right. Pl- plain and simple. And you, you don't have Drew Willie at quarterback, who uh, I've been critical of him, and I, there's a reason why. You've got Vernon Adams. The guy knows how to put points on the board. The guy knows how to score points. He knows how to move and make plays happen. So the, the possibility of more touchdowns is definitely there for the taking. And God forbid if we see Johnny Manziel and he does something too – so much the better as far as I'm concerned. I, this is how you got to look at it now is he's a part of the team. We expect him to contribute. You heard what Marshall t- talked about as far as how he's approached the game and how he is. I don't say really changed, but I think he's refocused his thought and how he prepares himself. And I know he's, if he's bringing that to Montreal, you can't help but be just a little optimistic as to what's what's going on. Right. So you factor all that in together and. I, I think we're going to see a much different Alouettes team on Thursday. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Thursday night football. Don't forget um, that there. Who is it? Loud. Loud is going to be playing. I find he's actually a Quebecer. I have no clue who he is. Um, oh. Uh, do not forget also, I, I got my email today. Do not forget, if you can't make it to the game for the, for the complete game, you can still have access to the Q4 tickets. Uh, it didn't show the sections that are currently available yet, but it, the, it was working because after I spoke with the, uh, uh, the execs last week, uh, it looks like they have gotten everything up and running properly. Um, but hey, if you're watching elsewhere within the country, across the world, enjoy the game. It's all that matters, right, Cliff? I mean, it's uh, uh, football on a Thursday night. Listen to the rec laws. What a song. I love that song. Uh, 
and let me tell you, uh, with with all this Johnny Manziel hype, I mean, I'll I'll be very disappointed, quite frankly, if we get another sixteen thousand people in the stands. Like everybody keeps talking about how Johnny Manziel is going to sell tickets. Well, guess what, folks? By and large, he's going to be a part of this team. He's going to be in. He's going to be in Percival Molson Stadium, and he just might actually take the field. So, I I expect to see all all these people that are saying, you know, he sells tickets. I want to see those tickets sold, and I'm not talking about the fourth quarter tickets. I'm talking about buying a ticket and watch the whole game. I want to see Molson Stadium packed as a result of this. Yeah, I agree. You, you, you got to prove me wrong that this. Uh, you know, they always say don't believe the hype, and I, I typically am not one to do so. And it, it, if people are going to show up, even if it's just out of morbid curiosity of seeing this former NFL star, I, I want to see this stadium rocking on Thursday night. Yeah, I so hope so. I hope so. so if you're listening and you're in Montreal and if you don't have tickets, you better get your damn tickets and go see your next potential superstar, yeah, Vernon Adams. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I hope everybody enjoys the games this week. Cliff, I'll be seeing you this week. Uh, we've got a couple of interesting people we're also going to meet at the game itself. Seems like uh, former Isles quarterback Tanner Marsh is going to be there. Um, we're going to be there to present him the jersey that we bought for him a couple of weeks ago. Um, but hey, enjoy the game, Cliff. I will be. You are. Are you sitting near me? I don't even know. I'm right in, fr- I'm right in front of you, dude. Oh, even better. Even better. Cool. Cool. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see you guys next week if we don't see you at the game. So for everybody here at the Elowitz Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Dick! Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.